Welcome to the Revelation Church podcast. We trust today's message will speak to you. If you'd like to get in touch, just drop us an email at hello at revelationchurch.org.uk. Good morning. So a very warm welcome to you all. My name's Rich. Uh, I'm one of the pastors here at Revelation Church. I hope you've had uh, a great morning in your hubs, um, encouraging one another, celebrating Jesus together. Um, and if you've just joined us on YouTube, a very warm welcome to you. I hope that as we open God's word together that you're blessed um, and that uh, as we uncover truths that you're, um, that you're challenged uh, and uh, inspired uh, as you follow Jesus uh, every day. Um, so <clears throat> as a church, we are uh, working through a series during the period of Lent in the run up to Easter, um, looking at different um aspects of the Christian life, different spiritual disciplines, if you like, um, that we're basically just exploring um, as we unpack the story of the Exodus. Um, and so we as we track the people of God uh, being released from Egypt, being set free uh, from occupation in Egypt um, through the wilderness to the promised land. Um, we've touched on some great subjects and this week uh, we're going to be looking at intercession. So throughout the week after the sermon, we'll be uh, picking up this theme of intercession um, and just focusing on that for the next uh, seven days or so. So what is intercession? Um, so biblically, uh, when we think about intercession, um, it isn't a word that's used outside of Christian contexts that much. Um, it can give you some pretty interesting ideas about intercession. There's tends It tends to be quite a loaded term, um, as if kind of there's some sort of super spiritual um, hardcore prayers in the church that you might ascribe as intercessors, um, which to some extent may be valid, um, but it's definitely not all uh, that is meant by that term intercession. Um, and so as we unpack today's sermon, I hope uh, that you are inspired um, to pick up this weapon of intercession um, as we journey together. We're going to be um, in Exodus chapter 32 today. Um, but just before we get there, I just want to uh, try and set a little bit of context um, to our passage. Um, so as I mentioned, um, we're following the Exodus story um, and the Israelites have uh, left Egypt. Um, they've been on this journey um, through uh, the wilderness and they finally come to um, Mount Sinai. And they've come to the base of Mount Sinai um, and then God comes in this cloud um, and descends on Mount Sinai and out of the cloud. He calls Moses up um, to come and commune with him, to come and talk with him. Um, it's quite an, a key moment in uh, Israel's history um, in that at this point, as um, as God is giving uh, Moses these laws and commands, uh, or more famously, uh, as we read about the Ten Commandments in the previous chapters, um, God starts to kind of, if you like, outline the nature of the relationship that Israel is to have with God. And we see that um, they arrive at uh, Mount Sinai in Exodus chapter 19. Then for about 10 chapters or so, God just kind of downloads um, all of these uh, laws um, for Moses and for the people of God to be able to follow. Now, we might think of that as being quite restrictive um, uh, to the idea of God imposing rules on his people of how they ought to relate to him. But you have to understand that that, that in the context of um, 
the Israelites, um, God, who is a holy God, um, his, his, his creation have essentially walked away from him. We see that right back in the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve, when they at the fall, when they take that fruit and they eat of it, that relationship then between God and man is then broken. And, and, and man now lives with this, what the Bible calls sin, this, this sin that separates us from God. And so what we see in this passage is, is God reaching out to his people. He's saying, if you want to come back into relationship with me, then these are the rules that you have to live by in order for you to be able to come into relationship with me. It's not a contingency thing. It's just by virtue of the fact that God is a holy God. And there are certain facets and aspects of God that need to be treated with reverence. Um, and in order to do that, the Israelites have to follow these, uh, th this law. Um, and we, we're going to pick up our story in uh, Exodus 32. So Moses has gone up the mountain. Um, he's seemingly been up there for quite a while. Um, and so I'm going to read uh, our passage today in Exodus 32 uh, verses 1 to 14 and then I'll pray. So when the people saw that Moses delayed to come down from the mountain, the people gathered themselves together to Aaron and said to him, "Up, ah, make us gods who shall go before us. As for this Moses, the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we don't we do not know what's become of him. So Aaron said to them, take off the rings of gold that are in the ears of your wives, your sons and your daughters and bring them to me. So all the people took off the rings of gold that, that, that were in their ears and brought them to Aaron. And he received the gold and from their hand and fashioned it with a graving tool and made a golden calf. And they said, these are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. When Aaron saw this, he built an altar before it and Aaron made a proclamation and said, tomorrow shall be a feast to the Lord. And they rose up early the next day and offered burnt offerings and brought peace offerings. And the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. And the Lord said to Moses, Go down, for your people whom you brought up out of the land of Egypt have corrupted themselves. They have turned aside quickly out of the way that I commanded them. They have made for themselves a golden calf and have worshipped and sacrificed to it and said, These are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. And the Lord said to Moses, I have seen this people and behold, it is a stiff necked people. Now, therefore, let me alone that my wrath may burn hot against them and I may consume them in order that I may make a great nation of you. But Moses implored the Lord his God and said, oh, Lord, why does your wrath burn hot against your people whom you have brought out of the land of Egypt with great power and with a mighty hand? Why should the Egyptians say with an evil intent, did he bring them out to kill them in the mountains and to consume them from the face of the earth? Turn from your burning anger and relent from this disaster against your people. Remember Abraham, Isaac and Israel, your servants to whom you swore by your own self and said to them, I will multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and all this land that I have promised I will give to your offspring and they shall inherit it forever. And the Lord relented from the disaster that he had spoken of bringing on his people.
Lord Jesus, we just thank you that your word is living and active. And Father, we just pray that as we open up your word today, Lord, that you would speak to us. You would teach us, you would guide us, you would challenge us. That, Lord God, you would give us ears to hear all that you have to say and humility, Lord, to walk in obedience to all that you have ahead of us. And so, Lord Jesus, we do just ask, God, that you would uh, give me grace um, to be able to communicate and give those listening the humility to hear what you're saying. That, Lord, together we might we might move more towards you this morning. We might glorify you more with our lives in Jesus name. Amen. Now, on the face of it, it seems a bit odd, doesn't it? That Moses has gone up this mountain. God descended in this thick cloud on Mount Sinai. And then uh, seemingly been there for a while. The Israelites don't know what's become of him. Maybe he's died. And they've got no idea when he's ever going to return, if he's going to return. And uh, so they turn to Aaron and they say, OK, fine. This guy, done. Make us, make us something we can worship. Make us something that we can put our confidence, put our trust in, if you like, something that we can attribute to the success, the deliverance um, from Egypt. They say uh, in uh, verse in verse one. Um, and Aaron does so. Aaron, Aaron does so. It's quite a strange dynamic, isn't it? We look on this and we think what a, what a, what a bizarre scenario to think that, well, Moses had just gone up the mountain into this cloud. We're not sure when he'll be back, seemingly gone up for a while. And so automatically they turn away in their hearts um, and build this golden calf. It, it's just what the Bible calls idolatry. They've essentially turned away from the presence of God. To, to worship something that they have created. That is essentially idolatry, a turning away from God and then putting uh, other things in God's place, making those things ultimate things. Now, nowadays, it might not be a golden calf that we uh, that we that, that we desire, but there are other things that, that, that become idols in our lives, things like money. We can turn away from focusing on God, believing in his provision and security. To turning to the security of money. The promise of freedom that that delivers or that that promises without delivering. We can we can we can turn away from the presence of God and put our trust in um, idols. We do that with all sorts of things. Maybe it's power and influence in the workplace for you. Perhaps even your own family that actually got what God has said comes secondary to ensuring that your family are OK. To making sure the kids get into that good school. And all of a sudden, God just moves down the priority list. And I think maybe their first problem in verse one, people, that when the people saw that Moses delayed, they had a change of perspective, didn't they? They saw Moses go up. But when he was up there for too long, their hearts were drawn away to something else. And I think these first few verses warn us, don't they? 
not to turn away in our hearts. In fact, when we look at the bigger picture here, God is on the mountain providing an opportunity for the people of God to come even closer to him. If you if you keep this law, then we can live in right relationship. And yet this delay in their hearts turn. I think it's probably a warning for us just how quickly our hearts can turn and just how fickle our hearts can be. I wonder if any of the Israelites actually paused to think about what they were doing. It says, doesn't it, uh, in verse four, and they said, these are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. I, wa I wonder if anybody actually questioned them. This golden calf brought them up out of Egypt. Well, when there were the plagues in Egypt, there was no golden calf. When the firstborn of the Egyptians died, there was no golden calf. When Pharaoh essentially um, dismissed them, kicked them out of the kingdom, there was no golden calf. Across the Red Sea, there was no golden calf. And so very quickly, this, 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 this golden calf that they have created, they've, they've given it an authority, they've given it a power. And I think idolatry does that, doesn't it? Is when we give way to things in our heart, those idols, they often tell us what we want to hear. They don't challenge us or they don't, um, they don't persuade us to move towards God in the same way. Very often those, those idols that we create are created in our own image with the promises that actually are rooted in maybe the sinful desires of our own heart, not necessarily rooted in the plan and the purposes of God. And moving on, in verse seven, uh, we then have this interesting dialogue between Moses and God. Um, now, interestingly, in verse seven, the Lord, who knows what's happening down uh, the mountain amongst the Israelites, he says to Moses, doesn't he? Um, Go down for your people whom you brought up out of the land of Egypt have corrupted themselves. And then in verse 11, this is where Moses responds to God and we see Moses interceding on behalf of the people. And Moses almost flips that previous sentence where, where God says your people whom you brought up out of the land of Egypt. Moses in verse 11 says, um, uh, why does your wrath burn hot against your people whom you have brought out of the land of Egypt with great power and with a mighty hand? And here what we see is an interesting dynamic here where God is the one that has led them out of Egypt. God is the one that parted the Red Sea. God's the one who provided manna from heaven. God's the one who provided water from a rock. God is the one who... It wiped away the Egyptian army that were following them. It's God who has delivered them. And yet, right back in Exodus 3 at the burning bush, God comes to Moses and he says, I want you to lead my people out of Egypt. I want you to go back to Pharaoh and tell him to let my people go. 
And so what we see here is an interesting dynamic where God draws Moses into his plan. Not just that, but Moses takes on that responsibility. He takes on that level of ownership for the people of God. Where actually God isn't out of place to say your people whom you brought up out of the land of Egypt. He, they're his people. They're following Moses. Whilst in turn, Moses is following God. And so what we see here in intercession is an interesting dynamic where the person interceding, Moses in this case, standing on behalf of the people of God, takes ownership for that collective responsibility. Now, we live in a very individualistic society and we don't often think of collective responsibility, collective ownership. We, and that's where I think, actually, when we think about intercession, we often fall short. This idea of intercession, of, of man having been separated with God. In order to come back into right relationship with God, we see God provides the law. Except the Israelites could never fulfill the law. And so God had to create another intercessor, another intermediary to go between man and God. And what we see is Jesus comes and fills that space, that void in between God and man. Jesus comes, fills that void, creates a bridge, creates a way for us to come back into right relationship with God. And in the same way that Moses takes collective responsibility for the people of God, Jesus comes and takes responsibility for the human race and says, I'm going to stand in the gap. The sin that had separated them from God and the subsequent punishment that that required, the Bible says the, the punishment of sin is death. And that's why Jesus had to die on the cross as our intercessor. In fact, it goes even further in um, Hebrews chapter seven. Uh, it says just really there we in Hebrews chapter seven, uh, verses uh, 22 through to 25. This makes Jesus the guarantor of a better covenant. The former priests were many in number because they were prevented by death from continuing in office. But he, that's Jesus, holds his priesthood permanently because he continues forever. Consequently, he is able to say to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. I'll say that last sentence again. Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. Jesus died on the cross for our sin and our shame. But he rose again to new life that he might make intercession on our behalf so that broken relationship between god and man jesus comes and fills the void represents us to god in his perfect life and his perfect death and his perfect resurrection that we might be raised to new life in him 
And so in doing that, have access to intercede with God in that same fashion. Now, that is phenomenal. And we get a foretaste of that here with Moses being drawn into the cloud to intercede with God. A couple of things about um, this passage that we see in uh, Exodus 32 about um, Moses in particular and the way he intercedes with God. He doesn't shy away from God. In fact, he says in verse 12, why should the Egyptians say with evil intent, did he bring them out to kill them in the mountains and to consume them from the face of the earth? You see, Moses is appealing to God's glory. He's saying your glory will be extended to the ends of the earth. How does it bring you glory for the Egyptians to say, well, he's brought them out into the desert to kill them? How does that bring you glory? And so Moses here is appealing, God, what will bring you most glory? What will bring you most glory? Having a people that you call your own or obliterating them. He goes on. Remember, in verse 13, remember Abraham, Isaac and Israel, your servants, to whom you swore by your own self and to said to them, I will multiply your offspring as the stars of the heaven and all this land that I have promised I will give to your offspring and they shall inherit it forever. Moses said, God, remember, remember you promised. Remember what you've said to your people. Remember the promises that you've made to them. It's interesting, isn't it, that Moses, um, as an Israelite, um, in the previous discourse in uh, verse 10, God says that I may consume them in order that I may make a great nation of you. And Moses is an Israelite. He could have been he, he God could have been justified to have eradicated them, started again with Moses. Except Moses appeals to the promises that he made to their forefathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, to Israel, that they would multiply like the stars of heaven. And I think actually it's, it's an incredibly bold ask that Moses makes. And when we talk about intercession, when we talk about coming before God, we stand before God to intercede on behalf of ourselves, on behalf of brothers and sisters, on behalf of those that don't know the Lord. And we come and we stand in Christ knowing the death of Jesus that covers us, knowing his resurrection life and power at work in us, we come and we stand before God. And we can say a very similar thing to Moses. God, what brings you most glory? In this situation, what would bring you most glory? And second of all, God, you've promised this. You've said X, Y, Z. And we're believing you for that. Because, you see, God is faithful. God is faithful. That is part of his character. That's who he is. Every single one of his promises 
comes to fruition. And then we have to unpack a little bit verse 14. And the Lord relented from the disaster that he had spoken of bringing on his people. And here we have to hold this divine mystery. That somehow that God is sovereign over all. Nothing happens beyond his control. And yet within the inner workings of creation, of time, God's heart is moved. And the Lord relented from the disaster that he had spoken of bringing on his people. And we have to hold those two in tension. Believing one, that God is sovereign and overall. And also believing that as we come to him in prayer, we move the heart of God and he acts out of compassion and mercy and grace towards us. And so just in closing, I just want to um, encourage us. I want to encourage us to to press into this 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 discipline of intercession, of standing before God on behalf of ourselves, on behalf of others. Now, it may be that in the midst of um, COVID and lockdown, it may be that you're struggling to do that. That's where actually as brothers and sisters, we can take responsibility for one another. We can take ownership for one another. We can think corporately. We have to break that stronghold of individualism that's so rooted in our minds to think about how can I stand with my brothers and sisters? What will bring God most glory in their situation? We can stand on behalf of those that don't know the Lord. We can come before God. God, have mercy on them. Lord, we pray, would you just move in power in their lives? Lord, would you be glorified through that circumstance, through that provision? Those are the kind of prayers we can pray. And when we intercede, we stand there before God praying for those sorts of things. Even for us as a church, through our vision, 300 big people, postcode planting, resourcing base and planting churches across the cities of the world. We feel God's spoken all of those things to us. Now, there's a slight difference between, if you like, some of the promises that we see in Scripture. Those are certain. Those are steadfast. Those we can stand on. We can take those to the bank. We can live our lives by them. Absolutely. But there's also promises that God makes to us, such as the church vision, as I just shared. 300 big people, postcode planting, resourcing based planting across cities of the world. Now, those 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 aren't in Scripture. You won't find those in the Bible. And yet God has impressed each of those on us. And with those sorts of promises, promises that often come through prophecy, God often provides us with confirmation and direction. He often affirms those calls over us and also gives us a direction to move in to begin stepping into the fullness of that. And where we currently find ourselves as a church in the middle of hubs uh, across North London um, in smaller uh, groups uh, of, of people being able to support and love one another. What an opportunity to bless one another. And yet we've always said as elders, this is A to B, but we're not sure where C is. And so we come before God and just say, Lord, this, these are your people. Would would you lead us, Lord, on the journey? Would you lead us uh, into um 
the fullness of all that you have for us, Lord. We don't want to get consumed with golden cars. We don't want to waste our time thinking about all of those other things that would crowd in. Lord, we want to remove those idols that we can see you clearly so that we can come and intercede on behalf of uh, the church before you, Lord. Not forgetting that Jesus is our access. And if you've never um, given your life to the Lord, if you've never uh, made Jesus Lord of your life, then you can do that right now. It's about dying to yourself and actually putting your trust in Jesus and saying, you know what, Lord, I believe in the death that you died for me. And I want to put my confidence, my full weight in you and trust in your resurrection life and power to be at work in and through me as I move further towards you, closer and closer to you. I'm going to pray. Dear Lord Jesus, we just thank you, Lord, for your word. Lord, we pray that you would stir up amongst us, Lord, a real heart of intercession. Intercession for ourselves and our own circumstances, Lord, a heart of intercession for brothers and sisters around us. Lord, those that perhaps we know are in difficult, tight spots, tough times. Lord, and, 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 and Lord, develop a heart of intercession for the church as well. Lord, that you would continue to lead us and guide us. Lord, that we would stand before you on behalf of the church. And Lord, also for our friends, Lord, for those that don't know you. Lord Jesus, we just pray that you would be speaking to them right now. And that God, as we bring them before you, that Jesus, you would cause your glory to, uh, to work in their life. That Jesus, they would have testimonies of your glory at work, your power at work in and through them. Lord, we pray, Lord, for miracles. We pray, Lord, for dreams, for visions. Lord, we pray for opportunities for us to be able to share the truth of your wonderful message of salvation. In Jesus' name. Amen.